So as I've worked with my kids who have friends who are disabled, it's been really helpful for us to see it in a personal way. It's like when we, when one time my daughter said, well, how about those people when they need a wheelchair to go into their van, how do they pay for that? And we've been able to actually have the discussion, well, let's ask them, how did they? And so then we talk about the programs and it's nice to be able to say personally, well, when you make a decision to park in the wrong spot, guess who you're hurting? You know, you're hurting your friend right there because now they can't go and do something. So with mm -hmm. us, it's been really nice to make it personal or it's even sometimes as simple as you have that friend who has an allergy and you make the choice. That's not that allergies are a disability, but you make that choice to hurt your friend when you are not being kind to somebody who's different than you or when you've made a choice that you don't want to include somebody. It's not this far off person that, oh, I'm hurting somebody that I don't know. It's like, no, you're actually hurting somebody that's your friend and you're making your friend um, not be able to participate when you're not being inclusive. And so that's been really wonderful that we've had that experience of actually getting to see you make that choice. That's who you're hurting. That's who you're not letting play with you. That's who you're not um, wanting to be a part of your life. So mm. and do, there, do you find that your kids respond like what's their I'm, I'm curious is their reaction and how they kind of progress forward in, in their play after um, that? It's been they've been really good about it. And I think it's partly because then they're able to it's just then the same thing for them as when they see their not disabled friends. It's like, well, I wouldn't do that to my sibling. Right. I wouldn't hurt them knowingly or purposefully. So why would I do that to my friend? So it's been great that they actually have that experience and, th and they kind of just like, oh, okay. So I don't behave that way. Mm -hmm. And just because it's been part of their life, you know, it's, it's great when my um, son who is now six, that he's had friends who are different since he's been born pretty much. It's like, oh, well, that's just the way they are. It's not a big deal because yeah. it's a part of just who they've known for their entire life. Yeah, I totally understand. And I think in that wanna, way, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, do you want to talk about um, like the, from a teacher, like a, you know, piano teacher perspective and being in the schools and things like that too? Sure, I can do that for you. So when we were talking more about the elitism for piano teaching, I think we often have this skewed idea that certain things are only for people who are really gifted or only for people who we label as being talented. And I don't like that mentality at all because activities like music especially should be available for everybody. And it doesn't matter if you're good at it. I often mm. work with an organization that insinuates that the reason I work with students who are not as gifted is because I'm looking for some diamond in the rough. And I'm like, no, I'm not looking for students that are going to be amazing. I'm not trying to discover somebody. It's that I firmly believe that everybody should have the opportunity to make music. And it's not about if they're ever going to be able to read music well, 
or if they're ever going to play in a concert hall. I don't really care if they're working on pre-reading pieces for three or four years because we're making music even if they never progress to playing list yeah. and that should be okay but for some reason we have this idea oh we want music to be for the people that are really good and I see that all the time it's like oh well yeah. you know in my studio I want everybody to be competition winners or something like it's like that's not what it's about it's about letting every child have the experience even adults I guess have the experience to make music even if it's just sitting down and improvising yeah, I think sometimes it's really we do that in our lessons. Yeah. yeah, I think it it really speaks to me, right? Because um, we have the same, you know, background in that I think that the music world is is just like this microcosm kind of of a reflection of the bigger society in terms of this kind of competition. And yes. why would you do something? Why would you teach something? Why would you go at something unless you're going to be the best? And, you know, I think everyone has a good intention, but then when you take into consideration just such a variety of people from neurodiverse to neurotypical, then the people who are neurodiverse, just based on how society is constructed, will be left out of that or assumed to be left out of that elitist group, just based on kind of our preconceived notions right. that go along with these historically sort of biased professions yes. like music. Exactly. And I see it so often. It's like when I'm teaching and working with students that, and, and I'm not saying that they're not good students because they're wonderful students and I enjoy working with them tremendously, but it's just we have to manage our expectations of why are we doing this? And if it's about the experience, that's what it should be. But so often I think that when we discuss this with other teachers, it's actually about the teacher ego instead of about the student. And it's like, mm, oh, it's am like I proving to ourselves that we can, we are good teachers because look at our students. And I think we do that as moms too. Oh yes, right? we totally. Like look at our kids. <laughs> I mean, we're like, how oh, good look, they I, are. At oh, it's like, oh, my student, my child is reading at, you know, a fourth grade level and they're only in first grade. And I'm like, is that really the point of learning how to read is to prove that you can read at a certain level or is reading about just learning the stories and reading what somebody else has had and, and just getting the experience of reading. And I guess, you know, music should be like what we should think reading, you know, just English should be too. Um, that we read books because of the enjoyment of books and because we learn it. So it's like, shouldn't music be the same thing? Are we playing the music because we have to say, oh, well, I can play this most difficult piece. And yes, it took me six years to learn it. And I've only played one piece that entire time. Or are we playing music just to say, hey, you know, Beethoven's great. And, you know, all these composers are great. Just like when we read novels, you know, it's like, oh, you know, I love Jane Austen or whatever. So the point is to experience it because that's how we learn. That's how we communicate with others. And that's just how we grow as people is to just experience things. And I think whenever we focus so much on, oh, you have to read at this level because that's showing that you, I don't know, are better at it or something. What's the difference if they're reading Magic Treehouse when they're in sixth grade, is that really a horrible thing to be reading at that level because you enjoy it? Why do we always have to be mm. pushing and 
proving that we're better than everybody else and measuring where are we? Yeah. Right. It's like this competition and innately within yes. that competition, again, because of how we view competition, it's like the society already isn't set up, you know, for people and kids who are neurodiverse as much as it is for people who are neurotypical. And so if you have a competition that's set up for one group of people and not the other, like that group of people is always like, they're always going to be like a little bit ahead or a little bit advantaged. And then, yeah, everybody kind of, who's a little bit different gets left out instead of kind of constructing it in a way. Like I loved how you put that just to experience things. Well, and the thing is, it's the kids that are getting hurt. And I guess that's what also bugs me. It's like when we're saying, oh, you got to read at this certain reading level. And I'm really big, even on my music teaching, but it's because of what I've seen with, you know, literacy is, is that it's just better sometimes to take things at their level and do a lot of it instead of always having to push and be like, oh, we got to do something harder. We got to do something more difficult now. It's like, can't we just let them chill and be content and feel good doing what they're doing? And I do that with my music students. It's like, okay, you're at this, you know, level one reading. Guess what? We're just going to spend months enjoying playing that level. When you feel ready, we'll move up. But if you're not ready, we're not going to force you to a different level because it's about just learning how to enjoy what you're doing. And the thing that I see is that the kids get much more confident about what they're doing. And what's wrong with that confidence? It's like, okay, they've read 20 you know, pieces at this level and they feel great about it. Or I could have pushed them farther and pushed them to be frustrated about what they're doing. And anytime that we can just let them feel good about what they're doing instead of pushing them to frustration because that's where then the hatred comes of the activity mm-hmm. or just mm-hmm. lack of confidence. And we don't want to ever do that to a kid. Yeah. Right. I think, yeah, all of this, I think is just related back to right. Like how we parent our kids and it's, and it's so ingrained in our culture, this competition that it's, yeah. it's really hard to kind of get, away from it when we're looking at our own kids like if we want to raise kind and inclusive kids like it's really hard to do that in a competitive society that's designed for kids to be the best at something and and, and we do it in everything I mean you see it in sports it's like we Mm. always have to you know we're doing this sport because we want to be good at it and we want to win and can it be just like oh we do this sport because it's healthy you know, and it's good for you to participate and just feel good about running around or something. Instead, we always have to win. And I'm not saying that winning's bad, but when that's our focus, then we don't actually enjoy what we're doing. And we just see it all over, like you're saying, as a parent. And it's so hard to turn it off as a parent. Mm-hmm. Be like, no, 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 that's not what I want. Because so often we speak our philosophies and, oh, yeah, I'm all about this. And then when you see how we actually act, like, nope. I'm pushing them to be the best and everything all the time. So I need to check myself as a parent. So I'm not doing that. Totally. Yeah, totally. Is there anything else that you would like to add? And even going back to your first point of how your children have played from a very young age with kids with disabilities and, um, you know, anything else from that experience that you think would be kind of helpful for other parents? Like I know, like on my street, there aren't any children who have disabilities. So there's not anything, but you know, it's so interesting too, because like I view my son as neurodiverse, right? Mm -hmm. But 
it's not obvious either. So, I mean, there could be these like sort of air quotes, invisible disabilities. So I can't actually even say that there's no disabilities on the street, but there's nothing that's so obvious just when we're playing. So for them, you know, and I think for some other parents, there, there might not be these like sort of obvious moments or these like obvious teachable moments. And I don't know if you have any. <laughs> I think, you know, we spend a lot of time talking about how people are just different. And I mean, and I think it sometimes can even just be talking about, oh, do you, you know, they're taller, they're shorter. And it's like, well, that's just the way they are. And that's just the way they're going to be. And then that leads into, it's like, oh, well, they do better at, at this sport and they do better at this academics. And that's just the way they are. And that's okay. And that's just one step away from then, oh, well, they're, you know, they're in a wheelchair and they're not. And that's okay. Because I think we need to recognize that on every level. And I think sometimes when as parents, you know, we're comparing, you know, sometimes just like, oh, well, they're taller. So yay for you. And I'm like, that kid had nothing to do with that. I mean, but you do sometimes even hear that as parents compare the growth percentiles and everything. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like, yay, I'm such a great parent. My kid's the 99th percentile in height. It's like, well, what, what do you do? What did you do for that? Yeah. Absolutely nothing. <laughs> And so I think that if we aren't even seeing people with disabilities, we got to have the attitude at that level that, you know what, everything is different and we just accept it and even discuss it with our kids that it's okay to be the shortest one in your class. No, that's not a disability, but it's just one of those things that you talk about and you, you explain, well, that's just the way you are. And that's okay. I think you're the perfect size. I think that what the books you're reading right now are great and you're doing what you need to do. And the more that we're open and discuss those things on those levels, it just leads into being okay with disabilities. That's such a good point and such a good place to start. So thank you so much for having that conversation. I so appreciate it. No problem. 